Now what we get to do together, which is our favorite part of the service, is getting out our Bibles. Get out your Bible. If you have your Bible with you, open it up, crack it right down the middle to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. If you don't have a Bible or own a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. Open that up to Psalm 131. Use that today. If you don't own one, take that home with you. That is our gift to you today. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. And upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond with thanks be to God. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here as we are continuing in our series summer playlist. And even though technically maybe summer has ended with school starting, um, the weather still permits that summer is alive and well in southeast Missouri, where outside it's like breathing through a wet rag. Amen, right? And so what we've done is through the summer, we've walked through the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, maybe you're not familiar with your Bible. We're, we're glad that you're here. And so what we've learned is in the Bible, there's the, a book of Psalms. And really what it is is like God's inspired hymn book. But even in the book of Psalms, there's a section called the Psalm of Ascent. And this is the songs that the people of Israel sang as they journeyed to meet with God. And we know that even through history, Jesus sang these songs. And it's profound to learn about the history and context of all of that. And the reason why this pertains to you and the reason why it matters to you in 2019 is because we've said this sentence, the physical journey of the Psalm of Ascent is like a uh, spiritual picture of our journey with Christ. And so just like it is a journey that they traveled to meet with God, our life is a journey as well. And many of us are in different stages of that journey. Many of us have just started out. We are now new Christians. We're now journeying in this. Some of us are in the middle and it's difficult. And then some of us are towards the end of this in our life and with our family and friends. But the reason why this is so great is the Psalms really put into words the emotions sometimes that we feel. And, and, and it's very helpful sometimes to know that in God's Word, that there are words given to our emotions. And in Psalm 131, it's ascribed as David being the author. And, and, and maybe you don't know a lot about David. David was king um, over Israel. David was like the coolest guy ever, okay? So, I mean, this guy was the runt of the family, if you will. But he was a shepherd. He was a blue-collar guy. Um, he also killed bears with his bare hands. So if you were like, hey, punk, and he killed bears with his bare hands, okay? Remember the whole Goliath thing? That was really cool. But ladies, he was also in touch with his um, poetic side, if you will. He played the harp. He wrote poetry. I mean, so this guy is just a man's man, okay? And today in Psalm 131, he, he's learned something. And he's learned something that is profound. He actually doesn't just say that he's learned something. 
David says that, that he's attained something, that he has attained how to quiet his soul. That's, that's a profound thing to say. I tried to study this week and really kind of argue with David to kind of think, no, 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 no. You mean that, that you want to get to this spot. But what he says is, is that in this journey, I've actually arrived at this spot, and he talks about and uses an analogy of a child. If you look in verse 2, he, he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Verse 1, he, he uses language about pride. He says, oh Lord, my, my heart is not lifted up. Some of your translations might say haughty, vain. And then he says, my eyes are not raised too high. This is all ancient poetic language about pride. And, and he says in a way, I've learned about pride in my life. But I've also learned, like a child, how to move away from that. And, and so maybe this as an introduction will be helpful. Um, our week um, in the Jordan home was a lot like um, y'all's with school starting back. And so this year for us is a transition for our family. Um, Roman is in second grade at Oak Grove. And then Andy Gray started kindergarten this year. And uh, let me tell you, I'm not okay. All right? It's different with girls. All right? <laughs> Um, I come from the youngest of four boys, and so with Roman, I was able to handle this. And as we drive, I mean, you can ask anybody that's close to me. I was just not okay this week, just like not at all. And so as I dropped her off there at kindergarten, and as I left that room, um, I put my sunglasses on my face, and I walked through the hallways like four people tried to talk to me, and I was like, I am not okay, man, you know? I wear my heart on my sleeve. It's just the way that it was this week. But as this idea of our kids starting school, we've used this language in our house like, man, I can't believe, Andy Grace, that you're growing up so much, and you're growing up, you're growing up. Well, for the first time in over like five years, there's, there's one child at home with Courtney, Piper. And so Piper's been hearing this language, Roman and Andy, you're growing up so much. And then Piper will chime up and say, well, well, I growed up too. I growed up too. Look at my muscles my muscles, right? And then she'll give a litany and, you know, and a list of things, you know. Uh, I go down to potty free times. I go down to, you know, free times. I growed up too. And as I heard her talking this week and, and had Psalm 131 on my heart, in a way what David is doing is in this psalm, he's kind of saying in a way, I growed up too. I, uh, there's, there's a word for it. Maturity. Maturity. Psalm 131 is, is about maturity in our journey with Christ. And it's interesting that David uses the picture and the analogy inspired by the Holy Spirit of a child. Of a child. And actually, when, when we look all through Scripture, and I studied this this week, and I thought, man, man, this is helpful. God's Word is so helpful for us and so applicable for us that the way that God described His relationship with His people and the disciples' development, just like there's child development where we look for these markers and these gauges as to, is my child and is this student progressing properly? The Scriptures use the same analogy for us as disciples, for us who are maturing in the faith. And, and it starts just like a child. 
birth. Um, Jesus in John chapter 3 uh, says that, that we are born again. That, that this journey doesn't just transition, we don't just kind of ease into it or anything like that. Jesus actually says to Nicodemus, the most religious guy, I mean, if, if they would have done a survey in the town and they were like, hey, who do you think's going to heaven? Who do you think's like definitely in? Everybody would have said Nicodemus for sure. Nicodemus. And Jesus looks Nicodemus in the eye and says, um, actually, nobody enters the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It is, it is a new birth. It's a new creation, just like a child being born. But the second thing is this. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we actually progress in our diet, just like how a child goes from milk to that mushy stuff in a pouch that might be food. I don't know, right? And then progresses to solid food and this, that, and the other. In, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul sort of lays into the church in Corinth and says, hey, 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 um, you guys should be eating solid food now. Um, you guys have been Christians for a long time, but you're still drinking milk. This is not okay. And so just like a child, we, we progress in our diet as we mature. The third thing that we see is that in Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul says, we learn self-control. Just like, just like how we teach our children, there's a reason why you can't eat Sour Patch Kids for breakfast, okay? Right? You have to learn this idea of self-control. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says this. This is profound. Um, hey, actually, we are not slaves to our desires. That we actually grow and we mature in this idea of self-control. Then the Apostle Paul goes on to say in Ephesians that we understand right from wrong. Not from a worldview, not from anything like that, but as we mature in God's Word, the Word of God teaches us the will of God. So we don't have to sit around with sugar plum fairy dust and go, I wonder what God's will is for my life, right? We open up the Word of God and we learn that. And it's just like how a child learns, hey, um, actually you can't punch your sister in the face. That's not okay. You just can't do that, right? Right? So we learn this idea of right and wrong. And then the writer of Hebrews says this. This is a lot of fun. That we're actually disciplined as God's children. I don't see this one a lot on um, sweatshirts and coffee mugs, right? Um, Hebrews actually says that um, all of God's kids, all of God's kids, they're getting it, right? And actually a sign of God's love in your life. Listen, this was profound when I learned this. I used to get so angry at the idea and the concept that I couldn't get away with stuff. Like, I always got caught. Always got caught, okay? I could be with a group of people, and everybody got away, but Jason didn't. Jason didn't, right? My friends could run faster or, okay? I used to do some stuff, all right? Pray for me, okay? And I realized, oh, that, that's actually a sign of God's love. God loves you so much Hey, 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 this is a word for, for some of you in here. You're, you're resisting it all the time. That's actually a sign of God's love in your life. That he doesn't want you to continue down that path. And that we're actually disciplined as God's children. But one of the most profound analogies that, that David used, and remember, Jesus knew these psalms. And in Matthew 18, it's almost like Jesus had Psalm 131 in his mind. And he says, we're actually taught to trust like children. We're learned to be dependent 
like a child. Just as a child is dependent upon its caregivers, just as a child would, would almost not make it, would not make it if it wasn't for the dependence of the parent, that's how we're supposed to live in relationship with God. And I want to show you this because it's so important because it almost mirrors. My job is to teach you the full counsel of God. So with your Bible, you see that it's not just my hobby horse, but rather this concept is seen all through Scripture. And in Matthew 18, it says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? We love the goat conversation, don't we? Greatest of all time, right? I mean, is it Tom Brady? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it all of that? Right? It's the goat conversation. And I love the disciples, There's hope for us, right? Whenever we read the disciples, they are walking with Jesus. And they are asking Jesus, who's the best? Like, who's the best in heaven, right? I mean, is everybody around Moses? Is everybody around Elijah? I mean, is everybody around Ruth? It's like, man, this is incredible. Who's the best? And then this is what Jesus does. And calling to him... A, what's that word? Child. He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then here it is. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now look at Psalm 131. The first two verses, the first verse speaks of pride, greatness. And then the antithesis of it is a child. Matthew 18. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus uses as a picture a child. And he says, you must turn. You must repent And Jesus doesn't say to be childish. He says to be childlike. That's a profound difference, right? Some of us are childish. No amens on that one, huh? Right? (laughs) Childlike compares all of the strengths of a child. Childish focuses on the negative aspects of it. And so Jesus and King David say to mature to be grown up in the kingdom of God. Here's the sentence. Learning to trust God means letting go of pride. Yep, it doesn't even get any better than that, right? That to mature and to journey with Jesus and learning to trust. We say that we trust. We say that we trust. But then Jesus says, actually, the the opposite of trust is is pride. There's there's many quotes and there's many things that we could say about pride. This is the definition that I've I've always used, that pride is placing yourself in in God's position. If God is the greatest, and if God holds the prominent position, then what pride is is placing yourself on God's throne. That's why God finds it so offensive in the Scriptures. 
He sees his creation that he created. I mean, it's almost like a dinosaur. I mean, something giant or big and magnificent and a tiny little ant arguing with something like that, saying, you don't hold the position of power, I do. And listen, this goes all the way back to the garden. This is the problem. As Augustine, the early church father, said that pride is the mother of all sins, for she is pregnant with all the rest. The self-sufficiency. In the garden, God told our first parents, Adam and Eve, love me and trust me. And a sign of showing that you trust me is that this is for me and not for you. Which is interesting because the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we don't know how many trees there were in the garden. Which is interesting to show us that God's permission far outweighs God's restriction. We focus on the one thing rather than all of the things. And then the enemy comes along and very simply, very simply just asks a question. I mean, I mean, it's not like devil in a pitchfork and like, I'm the enemy, right? I mean, it's like, like, that's not how the enemy enters our life. It's a very simple question. Did God really say, did God really say to not do that? And then he follows it up with this. Oh, well, you know why? Because God knows that when you do that, you'll be like God. And listen to me, ever since that sentence, ever since you can be like God, humanity has knocked God off the throne and placed ourselves in the prominent position. That's the desire. So when it comes to my finances, the way that I live my life, any of those things, we struggle with, everybody in this room struggles with, submission to God's position. That's the struggle. And, and pride actually shows itself in two ways. The first one is very easy to recognize. It's superior. It's the superior mindset. And a superior mindset says this, they need me. If it wasn't for me in this family, this whole thing would, right? They need me. I tell you what, if it, my goodness, they need me. It's, it's superior. But then there's the different side of the same coin that we never talk about. Inferior. And inferior says this. Nobody needs me. Nobody wants me. See, superior says everybody wants me. Everybody desires. If it wasn't for my contribution, that opinion, I would do it this way. Inferior says, well, nobody asked me. They must not love me. And you see, the reality is, is both of those mindsets have ourself as the center of it all. Both of those. And what David says today is, I've, I've learned something. I've learned in this process of maturity how to let go of my pride by learning to trust in God. And, and there's two handles the way that the text is divided. The first one is humility. We see that in the first two verses. And then verse 3 is hope. So, so what does it look like to learn to trust God by letting go of my self-sufficiency and my pride and keeping myself in the prominent position? It looks like humility, and then it looks like hope. 
And so the first thing when it comes to humility, David actually tells us two things about humility. The first one is this. Humility is aware of pride. I mean, think about that. Humility is aware of pride. Look at what David says in the first verse. It's almost a confession. Look at it. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great for me. Interesting. Heart, eyes, mind. That's the progression. Heart, mind, and eyes. And what David says, like, that's what's so interesting about humility, right? It's, it's difficult. Tim Keller says that humility is so shy that when you begin to speak of her, she leaves the room. Because, because you, can't, you can't, like, be like, you know what? Today, today, I killed it in humility. I mean, I was so good at humility today. I mean, I was at work, and my boss said this thing, and then I didn't say anything, and I just left the room really satisfied with my humility, right? It, that doesn't work that way, right? It works like this. Um, today, my boss said something, and I became so angry in my heart that I'm almost so ashamed at how angry I became. That my first reaction is, is anger. That's what a humble person sounds like. A humble person is not so much, oh, look at my humility. A humble person goes, look at the tendencies of my broken heart. And there's something that we have to understand about ancient literature. In, in the Jewish concept, the heart was the seat of all emotions. So for the Greeks, it was the mind it was philosophy. It was all of those things. But for a Jewish mindset, the heart was the seat of emotions. That's why, here, here's a good exercise. Circle the word heart in your neighbor's Bible just to make sure that they're awake. And then write Proverbs 4.23 out by the side. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. So, so at Westside, we, we paraphrase it this way. What we believe determines how we behave. Listen, here, we are not interested in behavior modification. We are not interested in try harder, grit your teeth, and put on this outside facade and change your behavior. We are not interested in behavior modification. We are interested in heart transformation because what the heart desires, the mind justifies, and the will acts out. And so, and, and so the desire is um, lying. Let's take lying, for example. It's not don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie today, don't lie today. That's not going to get you anywhere. The question is, why am I lying? Why? And once you start going deep down in that, parents, it's so important for us to understand this. When our children lie to us, it's because they loved something more than our instruction. And so they desired that. Boy, it'd be helpful, wouldn't it? If, if David says that pride actually starts in the heart, Proverbs says that we should guard our heart, man, it would be helpful if, if we could gauge 
our heart to find out if we were prideful or not, right? Man, man, I wish the Bible was applicable like that. Well, actually it is. So this is really great. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 12. For the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the words, um, just saying, just saying, hashtag just saying. Um, No, 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 you're not just saying, you're just revealing. Jesus says it's not just words, because what fills you spills out of you. So, so the idea to be able to gauge whether our heart is prideful and lifted up, Jesus says, well, look at your words. And so what I thought would be interesting is let's look at some pride-filled phrases that will make everybody angry in the room. You want to do that? That's great. Awesome. The first one, right, is um, do you ever say uh, those kind of people? You, you know. You, you know. Those people. You know. You know. Those, those Democrats, you know, those Republicans, you know. Um, No, I don't know. Please tell me. And you know what's interesting is when you say those people and you start categorizing everybody, here's what you're doing. Subliminally, here's what you're doing. What you're saying is everybody is not created in the image and likeness of God. Everybody does not have equal and inerrant value. What they are is they're in categories. And a lot of them don't measure up to my categories. So those people, when I was in line at Walmart and those people in front of me, you know, those people, what you're doing is you're placing yourself in the prominent position. And you're saying, I have a standard and those people didn't measure up. Or how about this phrase? Have we ever said this? Um, People just don't get me. It's just the way I am. People just don't get me. Oh, no, we get you. <laughs> Problem is you don't, right? This, this is just the way I am. You're just going to have to deal with this. It's just the way I've always been. My mama always told me. Oh, okay, cool. Here's what you're saying. I will not accommodate anybody else in my life. I will make everybody else accommodate to me. And this is just the way I am. So the reality is, is when we say these things, these things are windows into our heart. Or how about this third phrase? Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Who do you think you are? Ye with Didn't Jesus say something about judging? You without sin in a glass house, throwing a stone or something? I don't know, it's in there in the back somewhere. Let me Google it real quick. Okay, great. You know what, you know, these type of people, um, they don't sit in counseling. When we say these type of phrases, this person, they, they won't sit in a room with somebody else and figure out their heart's desire. You know why? Because the very act, the very act of walking in that room and sitting in that chair is a sign of submission to you. So you say things to your wife like, we're not going to talk to anybody about this. Am I clear? Because the reality is, is nobody's going to tell you anything. And listen to me. One of the sheer signs that you're walking down a path of destruction is this. You can't ask for help. 
that you can't ask for help. So nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Or how about this one, right? The other side of the coin. I'm just unlovable. I finally realized in my life, I'm unlovable. Hey, listen, look up here. I understand that you've probably gone through some horrific things in your life. There are billions of people in this world. Billions. And for you to think and for you to say that you are the most unlovable person out of everybody has... Listen, I love you. I love you. But you have just placed yourself in a category that nobody else can enter into. Listen, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Listen, the butter slides off of our biscuit every day. Everybody in this room is two steps away from stupid in their life, okay? So you are not so significant that God can't love you or no one else can love you, right? Or how about this last one? This is the best, ready? Um, So-and-so needs to be listening to this. Oh, you did it, right? You You wrote a name down in your bulletin. What you said was, you said, well, at work tomorrow, I'm gonna play this in the background and maybe he'll hear it. When we're in the car, right? Maybe she'll listen to it. See, listen, that's how subtle this is. That's how subtle and how blinding the idea and how broken we are. That humility is, it's aware of the brokenness of our own heart. So it's not so much, here's your errors Or here's where I'm awesome. The first response of somebody who has had the gospel of Jesus Christ drop from head knowledge to heart transformation is, oh, my sin is ever before me and against you and you only have I sinned. That's the humble response. The second thing about humility is this, is that it's a process. That it's a process. Look at the analogy that David uses in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. And look at what he says. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I mean, like talk about a word for us here at Westside, right? Mother's Day, we're dedicating like 14 babies, right? The joke of don't drink the water, this, that, and the other. I mean, the idea of the process. And guys, can we just be honest, guys? Um... We don't know, right? We don't know what it is. I mean, whenever my wife was nursing our children, you're just kind of like, I mean, I'll stay up with you, babe, but, uh, you know, (laughs) need anything, right? And the idea of what it is when you look at a child go from nursing to maturing and growing, I mean, think about this, right? When it's time to eat for a baby, It's time to eat. They will burn the house down, right? We can be at a wedding. We can be at a funeral. The President of the United States can walk in the room. But it is schedule time, right? And the idea of being unsettled and all of that. And David says it's it's like a child that is learning that process. But then he amps it up even more. And ladies, look at this. Like a weaned child with its mother. With its mother. 
So it is a small infant child who has just learned and progressed from nursing that can still be held by the mother. You know what this is like, right? I mean, I remember holding our kids, and when Courtney was nursing our kids, she could walk by the room, and I could be in the room with our kid, and it's like, mom's around, it's time to eat, it's game time, right? I mean, it's just animal instinct almost, right? And by the way, I would always get in trouble for saying it's feeding time. My wife would be like, our kids aren't dogs, okay? Nursing time, all right? But listen, what's the picture of? Listen, here's the word. There's a word for it. Contentment. That, that's the image in verse 2. David is saying, I've, I've learned something in, in, my matur- in my maturity. Learning to trust God means letting go of my pride. And my pride, I was so dependent upon my pride that I was like a crying baby who didn't eat. But now as I have matured and progressed, I have learned, I have learned what it is not to be dependent upon myself, but rather to trust God. The Apostle Paul, he he says the same thing. I mean, like I tried to get the scriptures to say, I just, I argued with them this week. Charles Spurgeon said that he wished that David had not said like a weaned child but rather a weaning child, still in progress, but not arrived. But David and the Apostle Paul, this is what Paul says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I mean, listen, if the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, 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 um, every disciple needs to go to the school of contentment, And listen, this is a word for me, okay? It might not be for anybody else in this room. Um, I'm learning the older that I get how discontent I am as a person. I mean, vacation, the first three days of vacation, I am like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Well, we're just sitting around? Well, we're just sitting on the beach? Well, I mean, what are we doing? Are we going here? We don't need to do anything right now? Is there not like, oh, I need to check my phone. 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 Oh, ah, right? It's because... When you learn contentment, you learn to sit with yourself. Uh, The great theologian Pink says it this way in one of her songs. (laughs) The quiet scares me because it's filled with truth. So distractions, work, 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 this, 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 crisis, 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 this person needs me, drama, 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 all of this, all of this. Or how about this, aspirations. David says in verse 1, I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous. David's not saying that we should not have godly aspirations. David's not saying don't try great things. What David is saying is selfish aspirations. Selfish goals that keep you distracted from sitting with yourself. And so the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to do this. And do you know where he learned to do this? Um, I don't know. How about a jail cell? Like, what would you do? The Apostle Paul was like a walking conundrum, right? I mean, this guy stands up in a town, preaches the gospel. 
like drug dealers go out of business, prosti- I mean, prostitutes don't do that anymore. I mean, all of this stuff, profound, and they're like, you know what, we're going to kill you for saying that. And he's like, well, you know, to die is gain. And they're like, no, 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 no we're not going to kill you. We're going to put you in jail, man. He's like, well, to live is Christ, so I'm going to be in jail singing hymns and everybody's getting saved, right? Like, what do you do with this guy? And he says, I've learned to be content. And then he goes on to say this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Interesting, right? That verse is not just for athletes anymore. It's a game changer when you understand it in its context. Paul's saying that I've realized something. Paul's saying, I've learned this. But do you know what I realized this week when I was like processing this myself? We're not like David and we're not like Paul. Do you know, do you know who we're like? We're like Dorothy. Remember Dorothy? Remember Wizard of Oz? Dorothy wears me slick through the whole movie. I mean, just exhausts me, right? Because we're in Kansas. And somewhere over the rainbow, I want to be anywhere but Kansas, Toto, right? She might be clinically diagnosed because she's talking to her dog all the time, right? Where are your friends, Dorothy? I don't have any. Why? Because I exhaust them to death. (laughs) Somewhere over the rainbow, if I had a new husband, or if I had a new wife, or if I lived somewhere else, if I... Only if all this other stuff would change, right? And then, and then what happens in the movie, right? Tornado blows through Kansas, and guess what? You get to go to Oz. I mean, you get to see the lollipop kids. I love those guys, right? It's awesome. Oz is incredible. What does she do the entire time she's in Oz? Oh, can we go back to Kansas? Can we go back to, right? That's us. That all of these external circumstances, if only I could pay off my student loans and I wasn't a slave to Sally Mae anymore, and then I would have all this money and be able to do all of... And here's the lesson. Contentment is not contingent upon your circumstances. It's just not. I mean, what is it that Dave Ramsey says? That, hey, you can pay off those student loans, and guess what? You still ain't going to have all that money. You know why? Because you're dumb. Because we're dumb. We try to find something else that we think that our contentment lies on. So learning to trust God means letting go of our pride. That looks like humility. Humility is much more aware of its brokenness. Pride is self-deceived. Humility is a process. We're learning at this. But there has to be a motivation. David knows that. Right? Because here's what I can't say. Um, Be humble. And then, zap, you're humble. And somebody's like, man, you look different today. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm humble now. (laughs) Lost a few pounds, got my hair cut, now I'm humble. It's incredible, really, right? There has to be something else, listen, that humbles us. Because listen, the only way that you can humble yourself is to love something more than yourself. And you know where that's found? 
That's found in hope. Hope. Look at what he says in verse 3. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Hey, do you know what I felt like this week? Just over and over I heard God telling me through his word. Right there in verse 3. God spoke to me. I heard it. And it's in verse 3. Oh, Jason. Hope in the Lord. Oh, Jason. Put your hope in the Lord. Because listen, here's the question. The question is not, do you have hope? Oh, no, 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 no. Everybody. Everybody has hope. Here's the question. What is your hope in? What have you placed it in? That's why the relationships hurt so bad. Oh, Because if we're honest and we've learned to calm our soul, we place so much hope in our relationship with our dad and our mom and our brother and our sister and our spouse. That's why it hurts so bad because I put such an unhealthy Hope in there. What is hope? It's very simple. Hope is what you hold on to to get you through. It's, it's your motivation. What are you holding on to? What's the motivation? How are you going to get through? How do you calm your soul? How are you able to be purged of your own pride? Well, I have hope. I have hope in the Lord. <laughs> That's where humility is found. There's no prideful people at the foot of the cross. You understand that, right? Because do you know how humbling it is to hope in the Lord? You know what the gospel is? The gospel is this. The gospel starts with God. G-O-S-P-E-L. God, our sins, paying everyone life. It starts with the good God who created everything. The universe gave us breath in our lungs. And in our own selfishness and pride, we turned from that good God and said that we can do it better than you. And then in our pride and in our brokenness, we have fallen short and we are left to our own devices. And the gospel says this, that you and I cannot save ourselves. You can't save yourself. And it's so humbling because then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And listen, we sing it. I was blind, but now I see. When we say that I am now saved, that means that at the same breath, you're confessing that we were lost at the very same time. And we bow our knee. And we say, I couldn't do it. But Jesus, you can. And some of us have given up hope. We've, we've let go of it. This is a picture of a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. I became very infatuated with Victor as we studied through Ecclesiastes, and he is a renowned philosopher, and he wrote a very popular book called Man's Search for Meaning. The reason why he was very popular was not just because of his clinical psychology, which is profound, and I highly recommend it. It's because Victor was also in Auschwitz. I mean, when it comes to a worse circumstance in humanity, I mean, I don't know what else other than the word Auschwitz you could say. And, and, and the question that Victor got asked all the time was, how did you do it? How did you survive every day, day in and day out? What was your hope? 
And Victor said, well, it couldn't be dependent upon our circumstances. And it was very easy to realize who had given up hope. He said that, I mean, they would get, I mean, a small portion of bread, just like what we take for communion. That was their meal for the day. And they would do just rigorous physical labor, literally work people to death. And what they would do is sometimes in the evening, they would all gather around and they would eat that little morsel of bread and they would imagine that they were back home at their Jewish family table and there was a great meal going on and all of that. And one of the things that they had was a very small pleasure for them at the camp was is that they were rationing and they were saving their cigarettes. And they were saving their little cigarettes for the day that the war ended and that they walked through those gates And Victor said it was very easy to spot people who had given up hope because it was people who smoked all their cigarettes. They threw in the towel. Have you given up hope today? Have you thrown in the towel? Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. That is really the only answer. And the psalmist goes on to say this, Put not your trust in princes. What does that look like in 2019? Put not your trust in the president or in a son of man in mankind in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God. Why this God? What's this God's credentials? Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever and who executes justice for the oppressed and who gives food for the hungry. Learning to trust God means letting go of my pride. And it looks like I'm aware of my pride and I'm learning that this is a process But the deep down motivation is the hope. What am I holding on to? We've been ending these series with questions for the road, which is a way for you to apply, not just to listen, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so the first question today is this. When is the last time that you asked another person about your own pride? Oh, right? I mean, like, and, and here's what we do. We cop out, like, the Christian way is to invite someone to coffee who you know who's not going to tell you the truth, right? So, like, hey, you want to have coffee this week? I need to ask you about my pride because secretly I know that you have a passive personality and I have a dominant personality and you're actually not going to tell me the truth. So, oh, I feel good about myself now, right? Like, how about this? Um, ask the people you live with the people who are closest around you. Because listen, even in asking the question, there is a confession there. Because we are so easily self-deceived. The second question is this. Are you lusting for new circumstances? Listen, I'm not negating circumstances. I'm not. Some of us in this room are in massively mentally and emotionally unhealthy circumstances, okay? I'm I'm not recognizing that, okay? But listen, here's what I am saying. Your hope is not solely found in that. Because at the end of the day, no matter the marriage, no matter the finances, no matter what, we cannot run from ourselves. And for David to say, I have learned. I've learned to calm myself. 
because now I'm okay to sit with myself and to go into the hard places. And then the last question is this. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to today? Because listen to me, if it is anything else, oh, if it is anything else other than the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even though that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace that you have been saved through faith, this is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God so that no man may boast. So now we are God's poema. We are his poem, his workmanship to walk in good works so that everybody would see our good works and give glory to Christ Jesus. If there's anything else other than that, listen to me, your life will crumble. And now we get to come to the table and we get to see the body broken and the blood shed. And there's nothing more humbling than that. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and God, we ask, we, we are so thankful for your word. What a godly aspiration. Oh God, may we desire on our deathbed to quote Psalm 131. That in our last days that we can say, oh, our life has not been pretty. Oh God, it's been so broken. But through learning to trust you, I've let go of my pride. And like a weaned child, I've learned to calm my soul. Because oh Israel, hope in the Lord. God, may today that through the power of your word and your spirit, Maybe on the way home, somebody turns to somebody and says, you know, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Maybe a text message is sent. Whatever it is. Because today we humbly bow at the foot of the cross. We say there, my sin, not in part, but the whole. And because of that, it is well. We pray this in the holy and in the precious and the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the elements today as you feel led?